I invite you to take your Bibles now and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open in the course of the message as we consider the seventh verse primarily, but also the context. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Treasure in clay pots. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Nineteen forty seven. A young Arab named Muhammad was tending flocks east of Bethlehem. While chasing a stray goat among the high steep cliffs along the west shore of the Dead Sea, he came across several caves. One of them had an opening only large enough for a man to crawl through. Muhammad took a rock and tossed it into the cave. He expected to hear a dull thump, but instead he heard the sound of breaking pottery. The boy investigated the cave and found it 
loaded with tall jars. Later, he returned with a friend to have a closer look. Large pottery vessels stood in two rows, the kind of vessels that were used in ancient times for storing water or food. However, these vessels contained wads of linen and leather scrolls written in a language that he could not read. For some time, the boy kept some of the scrolls, but he had no idea that the pottery vessels which he had discovered contained a priceless treasure. When investigations were made, people were stunned by what they found. The young shepherd boy had unknowingly stumbled onto what appeared to be the oldest Bible manuscripts ever found dating back hundreds of years before Christ. His priceless treasure is known today as, you guessed it, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The young shepherd made one of the most celebrated archaeological finds in history. He found a treasure in jars of clay. Well, congregation, in our text for this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the apostle also speaks of treasure in earthen vessels, treasure in clay pots. As we focus our thoughts on this one verse and its context, I want us to consider first a priceless possession, second, a pathetic vessel, and third, a powerful master. First, what is this treasure of which the apostle speaks? Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure. What treasure? Children, was Paul a rich man? The impression that we get when we read his epistles and his experiences in the book of Acts is that he certainly was not. He lived off the bare necessities. He often suffered from hunger, cold, and exposure. He did not enjoy the luxuries of life that many of us do. He certainly did not appear to be a man who possessed a treasure. If he did, why did he often live in poverty? Well, quite obviously, the treasure of which he spoke is not earthly treasure, the kind that brings bodily comfort and earthly security. The treasure that he possessed far exceeded the value of all others. Well, what then is this treasure? Look back with me in your Bibles to verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Paul said, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the treasure? What is the treasure? The treasure which he possessed was the light of the gospel. The soul-saving, life-changing gospel message. The riches of grace in the crucified and risen Christ. As you know, for many years, the apostle himself had groped about in darkness and spiritual blindness. For the early years of his life, he was like those spoken of in verses 3 and 4. He was among those who were perishing. His mind had been blinded by Satan, the God of this age. He knew the Scriptures, but he did not know and love the Christ of the Scriptures. 
When Moses was read, a veil was covering his heart. His mind was spiritually dark until, through the work of divine grace, he was filled with that wonderful, transforming light. The apostle never forgot that astonishing encounter which he had had with a resurrected, glorified Christ on the Damascus Road. At midday, the time when the light of the sun is most intense, he saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. It was there in that encounter with the glorified Christ that the veil was removed, the darkness dispelled, and his spiritual blindness healed. The very same God who commanded the physical light to shine out of the darkness at creation when he said, let there be light. This same God caused spiritual light to shine in his heart. God drove back the darkness of sin and unbelief. And the apostle, having been confronted by this light, abandoned all that had been dear to him. He left it all for the sake of this one great treasure. Doesn't his experience remind you of what Jesus said through some of his parables? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Or again, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Both men in those parables sold all that they had for the sake of a priceless possession. Having been confronted by the glory of Christ on the Damascus Road, Paul was prepared to give up everything in order to possess that treasure. Having been able to gaze, as it were, upon the face of Christ, who is the true image of God, he was given to see and understand the glory of God himself. His glory is manifested in Jesus Christ. Now, congregation, consider that word, glory. You see it there in verse 6. Consider that word glory. If you think back for just a moment to the Old Testament, you'll recall that there were several key instances in which the glory of God was revealed in a special way. In Exodus 40, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then again, upon the completion of the temple, we read that the glory cloud filled the house of the Lord. In response to that cloud of glory, the assembly prostrated themselves before the Lord in worship. In both the tabernacle and temple, it was the cloud of glory that caused the people to fear and tremble because God himself was revealed in that glory cloud. But then when you come to the New Testament, what do you read in John 1.14? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the divine presence which was once localized in the tabernacle and temple in that cloud of glory became present in the man, Jesus Christ. That glory cloud prefigured the Lord Jesus. Paul did not see the glory of God in the cloud. 
He saw the glory of God in Jesus Christ, verse 6. The radiance of God's grace and the majesty of God's truth could be seen in Jesus. The Apostle Paul had been unable to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ until God, by his sovereign mercy, turned on the light spiritually and shone in his heart, verse 6. As a Pharisee, he had learned much in his youth. But true spiritual knowledge was absent until God enabled him to gaze in the face of Jesus Christ. Having his heart enlightened by God, he was now able to say, verse 7, we have this treasure. And what a treasure it is, congregation. An unfathomable treasure whose worth is incalculable. To be granted the knowledge of the glory of God, to be granted the light of the gospel is a tremendous treasure. Dear friends, do you understand that treasure? Has the darkness of sin and unbelief been driven out of your life? Has the God who turned on the light at creation turned on the light in your heart? Have you received the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? The apostles celebrated this rich gift of grace. He had come to understand how a righteous God had made it possible to receive sinners. He had come to know the character of God as he gazed on the face of Jesus Christ. Yes, he had received a treasure. But now if you go on in verse 7, you see, secondly, how Paul described the place in which this treasure is deposited. It's a rather pathetic vessel. It's a rather pathetic vessel. Look with me to verse 7. But we have this treasure where? In golden vessels? Is that what he says? You might have expected such a treasure to be deposited in a container that matches the splendor of the treasure. To put a golden crown decorated with costly jewels in an old dirty cardboard box seems rather inappropriate. To put a $50 million diamond necklace in one of your recyclable margarine containers would seem rather unusual. Wouldn't you at least look for a container that suits, to some degree, the value of the treasure? But what does Paul say about the place where the treasure of the gospel is deposited? Paul says in verse 7, go there again, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, mud pots. Clay pots were common articles in every home in the ancient world. They are often found by archaeologists. They were not costly and they were easily broken. Metal vessels could be repaired and glass vessels could be melted down and reused, but clay pots, when broken, would just be thrown out. They were weak and disposable, the cheapest household vessel in the ancient world. The Apostle Paul compared himself to one of these clay pots. 
The treasure of the gospel has been entrusted to fragile, weak, plain, breakable people. Like putting a costly jewel in a cheap clay pot, so God has entrusted to people the treasure of the gospel. There's a striking contrast between the splendor of the treasure and the poor quality of the vessel in which the treasure is contained and through which it is manifested to the world. Paul contrasts the glory of the message with the vulnerability and weakness of the messenger. Rather than choosing to communicate the treasure of the gospel through perfect, sinless angels, he deposited the treasure in mud pots. God could have communicated the gospel through radiant angels, but he didn't. He chose ordinary people. When we think of the Apostle Paul, and all the apostles for that matter, we tend to think of them as, as great men of God. But Paul himself believed that he was nothing more than an ordinary, frail, clay vessel. Now think about it for a moment. How could he be entrusted with such a treasure? He was among those who approved of the stoning of righteous Stephen. He was also the one who made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Paul himself said in 1 Timothy 1 that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, arrogant man, the chief of sinners. He was not exactly what you would call a model of goodness, purity, and righteousness. And yet in Acts 9... After the Damascus Road episode, when Ananias was told to go to the home where Saul was, that he might lay his hands on him for Saul to receive his sight, the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen, what? Vessel of mine. Despite his horrible past, the Lord chose him as a vessel through which his name would be carried to the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Those who later opposed him, those who later opposed him, and there were many, they tended to ridicule him for his physical weakness. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, his opponent said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech contemptible. By pointing to the weakness of his bodily appearance and speech, they tried to discredit him and his authority. They said, look, there's nothing impressive about this man. There's nothing in him that commands respect. Why should we hear his word and submit to his authority? Those who opposed him failed to see that it is possible for a fragile clay pot to contain a priceless pearl. When such is the case, to discard the pot is to discard the pearl of great price. To write off an apostle as a weakling was to dismiss the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that had been entrusted to him. You see, the office of apostle was a very significant office. 
The apostles were personally chosen and selected by Christ himself. They were his representatives. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40, Jesus said to them, He who receives you receives me. To receive an apostle was to receive Christ himself. Paul knew that although he was a weak vessel, he was nevertheless divinely appointed by God. To the Galatians, he said, he said that if an angel came and brought that which was contrary to their message, he was to be accursed. Why? Because the treasure of the gospel was deposited in those mud pots. God, the sovereign potter, molded and shaped those particular men to fulfill his own unique purposes. Therefore, regardless of their apparent weaknesses, they were to be received as vessels shaped by the sovereign potter for the purpose of bearing, in a very special way, the treasure of the gospel. Now, congregation, while our text may be highlighting the office of apostle, these words also apply to office bearers. I stand before you today as your new pastor. I'm not particularly bright. I'm not particularly eloquent. I'm not exceptionally courageous. I'm not a spiritual giant. I'm just a mud pot, a rather pathetic and fragile clay vessel. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, why then do you stand at the pulpit? Because God has given me a treasure which I have been called to communicate to you. While the apostles were special agents of revelation used for the very formulation of the New Testament canon, in a very unique way, the gospel of the glory of Christ was deposited in, deposited in those clay pots. Nevertheless, ministers of the gospel today also bear that treasure. We have the completed scriptures. The Holy Spirit opens our understanding of them. Ministers of the word and office bearers carry that treasure in their earthen vessel. Yes, we are just plain mud pots. That doesn't sound very flattering. Yet God has entrusted to us the glory of the gospel. And so if any of you reject the message because of the weakness of the vessel... You are failing to see that it is possible for a fragile clay pot to contain a priceless pearl. To discard the pot is to discard the pearl of great price. We who are called to preach are only weak and sinful men. We are but clay, dust, and ashes. Nevertheless, we are called to manifest the light of the gospel within the church and before the world. We are called to display the treasure, to reveal its glory, splendor, and value, to reveal the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are entrusted with the sacred scriptures and charged to see to it that the word is rightly taught and applied in the church. Paul told Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
You see, the treasure of the gospel is displayed through plain vessels of clay. Being installed here as your pastor, as weak and ordinary and blundering as I may be, I have the special responsibility and privilege to ensure that the treasure is displayed and known in this place. And then congregation. Not only does this apply to apostles, ministers of the word, or office bearers, but all Christians are also called upon to manifest the light, the treasure of the gospel to those who are lost in sin. God could have written his message in the clouds. He could have given his angels the responsibility to proclaim it. He could thunder from the heavens the message he desires people to hear. But he doesn't do any of these things today. He has chosen to use mud pots like you. Like you. To bear the light. You may feel totally inadequate to bear such a treasure. You may feel overwhelmed by your own sin and unworthiness. Being sinful sons and daughters of Adam, we have rebelled against God. And in ourselves, we would trample that treasure. And yet God looks upon us, molds us and shapes us so that you may be useful to him. Even as he snatched the Apostle Paul from a life of sin and declared that he was a chosen vessel to bear his name, so there is a sense in which he does with each and every believer. Yes, Paul was a unique person, used for unique purposes, but he too was a man of clay, dust, and ashes. He was made of the same stuff of which you are made. And so, brothers and sisters, we stand back in amazement at the way God has chosen to manifest his treasure in the world and what he has decided to use. It goes beyond our understanding. If you had something that was extremely precious, would you entrust it into the hands of unreliable people? And yet the Lord deposits the greatest of treasures in clay pots. Why does he do it? He does it to show that we serve a powerful master, which is point number three. A powerful master. Look with me once again to verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. How is God's power revealed? Through weak vessels. As the treasure is manifested to the world, people should not be attracted to the vessels. It is of little profit to hide a beautiful diamond ring and show off the, the flimsy plastic container. People should be drawn to the treasure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks of a, a thorn in the flesh that was given to him. And he pleaded with the Lord three times that it might be taken away from him. But how did the Lord answer him? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Weakness. 
And then Paul said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The power of God is revealed through the weakness of the vessel. The earthen vessel can accomplish absolutely nothing unless it receives strength from God. God brings praise to himself through those who are weak. The glory is then given to him rather than to people who are formed from the dust of the ground. Brothers and sisters, this principle that we find in verse 7 is illustrated in the following verses. Did you notice that? On the one hand, we see the weakness of Paul and his fellow laborers. We see their vulnerability as clay pots. On the other hand, we see the power of God which sustained them from day to day. Have a look at verse 8. Verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. As a vulnerable, frail vessel, the apostle would have been crushed. He would have fallen into despair and been destroyed. When you press upon or strike a clay vessel, how long will it take before it breaks into pieces? Not very long. But the apostle says, even though we are clay vessels, we are not crushed, despairing, forsaken, or destroyed. What was impossible from a human point of view was possible through the power of God. As they stood under pressure, those who opposed them were forced to reckon with the fact that the excellence of the power belongs to God and not to us. In 2 Corinthians 11, the apostle gave a rather detailed list of the many difficulties which he experienced as a vessel bearing the treasure of the gospel. Five times he received 39 lashes. Imagine that, five times. He was also beaten with rods, stones, shipwrecked, threatened, falsely accused, suffered from hunger, thirst, sleeplessness, cold, and so on. What he went through was certainly enough to crush any clay pot to smithereens. But the Lord sustained him so that he appeared to be like a cat with nine lives. It was evident to all that the excellence of the power belonged to God and not to man. God sustained him through trial after trial, Contrary to all human expectations, when man's resources would have come to an end, God's resources saw him safely through. Thus, God was glorified through human weakness. Congregation, the excellence of the power of God revealed through earthen vessels is illustrated on many pages of the Old Testament. Let me just remind you quickly of one story, the account of Gideon. Some commentators actually believe that Paul may have been thinking about Gideon's defeat of the Midianites when he wrote the words of our text, torches within clay pots and all that. You know the story. 
I don't know if Paul was thinking about the story of Gideon or not, but it certainly does illustrate an important truth. God told Gideon to lead his people against the Midianites who were numerous as locusts. And Gideon, you remember his response, he objected. He said, Lord, I have no name, no reputation, no clout, no strength. I'm a nobody. But do you remember what the Lord said to him? I will be with you. So Gideon gathered together an army. But before he went into the battle, the Lord said, The people who are with you are too many. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And so Gideon had to narrow down his army from 32,000 to 300. God said, By these 300, I will save you. Through the weakness of man, a ridiculously feeble army, the surpassing power of God was revealed. The Midianites were subdued, and all were forced to acknowledge that the power was of God, not of men. Instead of people saying, isn't Gideon a wonderful fellow? If they were honest, they could only say, isn't God a powerful master and savior? So it was also in the life of Paul. He was frail, pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But through it all, the power of God was revealed. Instead of people saying, isn't Paul a wonderful missionary? They could only say, isn't God a powerful master? Brothers and sisters, in ourselves, we are nothing. I stand before you as nothing, an insignificant nobody. I am called, and each one of you are called, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to the treasure that we bear. Go back to verse 5 for a moment. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. A servant should not draw attention to himself. He knows that he holds a lowly position. As a bondservant of Christ, Paul did not preach himself. He preached Christ Jesus the Lord and drew attention to his master. Congregation as clay pots. The moment we preachers and office bearers draw attention to ourselves, we will hinder people from seeing the amazing treasure that we bear. No mud pot can bring salvation. No mud pot can bring salvation. When Christian leaders draw people to themselves, they are putting themselves in place of the treasure. And doesn't that sometimes happen in the church today? Personality cults. In ancient Corinth, the church began to follow their favorite people, their favorite preachers. Some said, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas. And the apostle Paul said, who am I? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. We only displayed the treasure. We're nothing in ourselves, nothing but clay jars. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. As in ancient Corinth, so also today there are some who become enamored with a clay pot. And they forget that it's only the frail container of something far greater. And sometimes servants of Christ can become rather arrogant. We like to demonstrate our intelligence, learning, or giftedness. And consequently, the power revealed in our life is regarded as of men rather than of God. We receive the praise, and God is left on the sidelines and in the shadows. Whether we are church leaders or members, we need to understand our humble position. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and after we fell into sin, God said, you're going to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Unless Jesus comes back first, every single one of us is going to return to dust. Scripture says that all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. We are such incredibly delicate creatures. And yet, yet we who are but dust... We would rob God of the glory that rightfully belongs to Him. How we need to maintain a proper perspective. Remember, if you are used for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, if you are used to enlighten the minds of others and to convict their consciences, if you are used to bring others to conversion, the power is of God and not of you. It is His Word, His work, His power, and therefore all the glory belongs to Him. Consider yourself privileged that you who are but mud pots may display God's amazing treasure to one another and to a world that is lost in sin. If you have the knowledge of Christ, salvation, and eternal life, if you have the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that is valuable beyond words. Don't take that treasure for granted. Praise Him for it. And as you reveal it to others, may His strength be seen in your weakness. And if any of you are here this morning, knowing in your heart that the light of which Paul spoke in verse 6 is not shining in your heart, if you're putting your hope in earthly treasure rather than gospel treasure, I urge you, I urge you this morning to turn in repentance to the sovereign Lord who alone can speak into your soul and say, let there be light. Turn to Jesus, who because of his suffering and death at the cross can dispel the darkness of sin in your life and then use you, 
mud pot that you are to display his marvelous light. A jar of clay through which Jesus is working and through which he is glorified. May he truly be glorified through every mud pot in this church. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you, who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, have shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that unfathomable treasure. We thank you for the gospel of free grace. We praise you for the message of the cross. We're reminded this morning of our human frailty. We stand amazed that such a treasure would be entrusted to pathetic clay vessels. We pray, Lord our God, that despite our weaknesses, you will use us. And we pray that the excellence of your power may be displayed through my ministry here and through the service and witness of your people here at Bethel. May it be clearly evident that the excellence of the power is of God and not of us. Not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Christ, the pearl of great price. Amen.